Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Well, hey there, everybody. Greetings and citations, and welcome to the newest episode of the John Campion Podcast, episode number 42 for Tuesday, September the 20th, 2016. I'm your host, John Campion. Of course, it's been a couple of weeks. I let you guys know a few weeks ago, obviously, I was starting back up on Movie Talk, that my podcast schedule will become a little more... Uh, we'll, we'll become regular once a week, and then I had to skip a week because of getting everything up and going with Movie Talk again, but we are now back, and this... This podcast will be once a week from now on. Normally, it'll drop on Mondays. Yesterday was particularly insane around the Collider Video Studios, so I had to push it off one day. But better late than never, and we are here now. So I got to say, first of all, uh, to all you guys who sent in well wishes and all that kind of stuff for with me uh, taking over Movie Talk again, thank you so much. It's meant a lot to me. It's a lot of fun working with this crew again on a, on a daily basis. It's been a lot of fun, but there's still been a little bit of confusion out there. So I, I covered this on my last podcast, but just let me quickly just remind everybody, I'm not running Collider Video as a whole anymore. I simply don't have time to do anything like that. And Dennis Zen, who I kind of handed Collider Video over to when I left, he's been doing a magnificent job. So I am simply coming back to take over movie talk and everything that has to do with movie talk. Dennis is going to look after all the other aspects of Collider Video and all the other shows. I'm just looking after movie talk and uh, that has freed up my time. Uh, I've had enough time just to do that part and I'm still able to do all the other things that I'm doing and it's been awesome. But uh, now that we've covered that again, I put out on my Facebook page the other day. And by the way, if you're not following me on Facebook, you should. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash John Campia and just follow me there or follow me on Twitter uh, at John Campia as well. Or I've been trying to use Instagram more lately too. Follow me on Instagram at John Campia. It's simple, that simple. But I told everybody on my Facebook page that this new episode of the podcast was going to just be all stuff from people on my Facebook page. And I told them, leave a question here on this post and I'll get to as many of them as I can. And we're going to do that right now. So let's get started. The first question comes in from Chinar uh, Pusalkar. I hope I'm doing getting at least close to your name, uh, Chinar. And Chinar writes, what movie from the rest of the year, 2016, are you most exciting for, not including Rogue One? Yeah, because Rogue One would be the obvious one. There are a couple, there, actually, there's a whole bunch of films I'm really excited for, for the rest of 2016. The two that really stand out to me, though, are The Arrival. Sorry, it's not The Arrival. It's just Arrival. <laughs> the Arrival is the Charlie Sheen sci-fi film. Um, Arrival. I, this was a movie I was paying absolutely no attention to, and I had like no interest in whatsoever, just because it sounded like just another pedestrian sort of, oh, aliens come to Earth kind of movie, whatever. But it does have Jeremy Renner in it, and it does have Amy Adams. And then the trailer dropped. And I don't know what you guys thought about the trailer, but I know for me, I thought the trailer was spec frickin' tacular. I love the trailer. 
And it made me very excited for the movie. And I continue to be very excited for the movie. I just thought it looked bonkers good. I, I thought it looked like true sci-fi, you know? So I'm really excited about the about Arrival. And you're gonna hear, you're gonna hear me probably for the next few months when I'm trying to say arrival, saying the arrival. But just keep correcting me when I do. Um, yeah, so arrival is definitely one of them, and the other one would be Doctor Strange. Um, uh, like I, I've just first of all, I just love everything they the idea about Marvel stretching out and going into this like paranormal mystical realm. I think is really cool and different and original for them. So I think that's great. But aside from that, I think the trailers have looked like bonkers good. I I just think they look bonkers good. And I'm really excited with the casting. You got Chuchel Ejiofor on there. You've already obviously got Mads Mikkelsen in there. You've got Benedict Cumberbatch in there. It just looks great. So yeah, the two, if you had to ask me what two am I most looking forward to, not including Star Wars Rogue One, I'm going to say Arrival and I'm going to say uh, Doctor Strange. All right. Next one comes from Jamil Bakhesh, who writes, any hopes for Martian Manhunter joining the DC Cinematic Universe anytime soon? Look, I'm going to say something really unpopular. First of all, do I think there's any chance that he joins the DCU anytime soon? No, I don't think there is. I've seen no hints towards it. They've already got a very large slate lined up. They got a lot of pictures in motion. That doesn't mean he couldn't join, but if you're asking me anytime soon, I don't think in the next three to four years. To be honest, Martian Manhunter is one of these guys to me who I don't always dig him in the comics and I don't always dig him in the animated stuff. But to me, he's a character that would not work live action. That's just me. That's just my opinion. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of butthurt people out there going, but John, I, you, he's great. Okay, I'm, That's great that you love him. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome that you love him and that's, that's terrific. And maybe some really creative filmmakers can come up with a really cool way to integrate Martian Manhunter into the live DCU. And I'm not saying that they can't. They told that somebody could. I'm just saying for me off the top of my head, I don't think it fits. I don't think it works. I personally, I've never found Martian Manhunter to be that interesting of a character. That's just my opinion. Uh, that that shouldn't take away from your opinion. If you love him, that's great if you love him. But, you know, if you ask me my opinion of Martian Manhunter, I didn't think he worked very well in Smallville. I don't think he's working very good. And although that one episode when he first revealed himself, that was pretty cool in Supergirl. But I'll be honest with you, the, the novelty that wore off to me, I just don't see John Jones um, as a very compelling character. I, I just don't see Martian Manhunter as a very compelling character. That's just me. Again, don't let that detract from your love of him. If you love him, I'm just saying for me, he doesn't work. All right. Next question comes from Brandon Donovan, who writes, do you think uh, we will start to see more religious-based movies in the future and not just ones based around Christianity? Um, it's Yeah, I think it's possible. Here's the thing about that. I think when you have demographics of people out there, whether it's demographics revolving around the music they listen to, whether it's demographics based around nationality, whether it's demographics based around sexual orientation, whether it's demographics based around uh, lifestyles, whether it's demographics based around religious beliefs, whatever. When you have demographics of people out there and a studio believes that A, there is enough of them 
and B, they could be mobilized to get interested in certain types of movies if we produce them. And therefore, C means a studio could make money off of producing films specifically targeted at that demographic. Then you have to believe there's opportunities there. You know, in the last few years, we've seen a number, like a kind of a boom in the amount of religious theme movies, whether it's like God's Not Dead or, or War Room or films like that. And what that is telling the studios is that there are religious demographics. Like they've always, they always make smaller movies for specific demographics. And now they're realizing for religious demographics, there are audiences if we make them. And they've been doing it with the uh, Christian demographic. And I believe if they believe they can, they can get some studies done and shown that, say, like, I don't know, like more really Jewish-based films or Eastern religions or, or, uh, uh, or uh, Muslim religions or whatever, if studios believe that there's a demographic they can appeal to and mobilize to get interested in their film – I believe it'll happen. So far, it's it's met with some success. Look, I'm not a big fan of these types of movies. Everybody knows that. But there are audiences out there who have been supporting them and they've been making money. And if a studio thinks they can make these things and, and be profitable and have an audience, they'll do it. So I would say the chances are pretty good moving forward and not just for the Christianity-based ones. I think for the other ones too will come down the road once the studios figure out that key for how to reach that particular demographic, whatever that demographic is. Thanks a lot for the question, Brandon. All right. The next one comes from Drewski Marker. And Drewski Marker writes, with uh, Joe Manganiello confirmed as as a Batman villain, do you think Joker will make an appearance in the standalone Batman film? Um, will he pay? Okay. Well, first of all, will the Joker play a key role in the new standalone Batman film? I think the answer to that question is no, but will he make an appearance? I mean, absolutely. He could, I mean, you can have, you can put one little scene together, whether it's a flashback for Batman or Joker just shows up for a second in a dark alleyway to talk to a key character or something like that. I mean, that's totally possible. All we know is that the Joker isn't going to be a key character in the new Batman movie. Okay, we know that. We'll probably feel his presence somewhat since he's such a historical Batman villain. But it's possible he could just appear for like a cameo. That's totally, that's possible in any movie. But really, the real question is, will he appear and be a significant player? In the movie, like, will you have 15 minutes of screen time or more? And I think the answer to that question is no. As far as cameos go, anything's possible. It certainly would fit. I mean, there's no reason why he couldn't. So it certainly would fit. All right. The next question comes from Chris Marabella. And Chris Marabella writes, hey, John, love your work. Well, thank you so much. And everything you do. What are your thoughts on the uh, Live by Night trailer? Um. I actually really love the Live By Night trailer. And I'll be honest with you, I have, I've seen and read from a few people that didn't like it. And that's cool. Like all film, including trailers is subjective, but I don't know, man, I saw that trailer. I saw nothing to dislike. I thought Affleck looked really good in it. I liked the tone of it. 
I like the pace it kind of had. I like the feel of the film. I like the story it hints at. I mean, that I, I actually thought that Live by Night trailer was bonkers. I thought it was great. And, you know, there are some movies and trailers, like let's take, say, Suicide Squad, for example, right? I see Suicide Squad and I like it. But I can say, man, but I can totally see and understand why a lot of people wouldn't like it. Like for me, it worked. I liked it, but I totally recognize the things that are in there that would make some people not like it, right? With Live By Night, the trailer, I can't say that. Now, that's not to say that people that don't like the trailer are wrong. Not at all. It's all subjective. But I'm just saying, like, I thought this trailer was so good. I can't say, well, I can totally see why or understand why people wouldn't like it. No, I can't. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I think the trailer is just plain great. Uh, I love just about everything about it. Now, the movie could suck, obviously, as is you know the case with any trailer, no matter how good the trailer is. Of course, the movie could suck. But I, I don't know, man. I look at that trailer. I think Affleck looks sharp. The story looks like it's going to be great. I like the pacing of it. I think it's going to be killer. So let's just keep our eyes open on that. Thanks a lot for the question, Chris. Uh, next question comes from Andre Porter. And Andre Porter writes, what are the chances of the Fantastic Four being a part of the MCU's Phase Four? Well, that's a question that comes up a lot. And it's really, it's a kind of a dual threat kind of question. In one hand, you know, what are the chances that it will? And then the other question we got to ask is, should it appear in the MCU? All right. So let's look at it this way. On the one hand, what are the let's let's start with the question of should they appear in the MCU, okay? If you've been listening to me for any period of time, you know that my personal belief is I like various characters being spread out over multiple studios because it gives us different takes, different interpretations, and it gives us more movies. And it gives us a better variety of movies when they're all under different umbrellas, right? So I like the fact that the X-Men belong to Fox. X-Men apocalypse notwithstanding, Deadpool kicked ass, First Class kicked ass, Days of Future Past kicked ass. So, And those are movies that probably wouldn't have happened if they were under the Marvel umbrella. So I like that they're under Fox and I want them to stay there. Deadpool is certainly a movie that never would have happened. If Deadpool was under Marvel still, that Deadpool movie, which is one of my absolute favorite movies of the year, that movie never would have happened if we were under Marvel because Marvel has their way of doing things and it works for them. And that's awesome. But this is a great example of why I like that multiple characters can be under multiple studios because we can get different types of attempts. We can get different types of movies, Deadpool being a great example of one. Now, so I like the idea of movie characters being under different studios. However, that being said, with Fantastic Four, I, I'm sorry, it's three strikes and you're out. Like Fox has made several attempts at doing Fantastic Four, whether it was with Corman or whether it was, um, you know, with a Chris Evans uh, series of films or whether it was with this new incarnation, which had a lot of promise. They've all failed. Now, I'll go on record. I, I am on record by saying this. I don't think the newest Fantastic Four was as bad as most people make it out to be. I think it was bad. I think it was a bad film. 
But I just think it was a bad film. I don't think it was historically awful. Actually, I, I think the first half of the film had a lot going for it. You know, it's funny because me and John Schnepp and, and Mark uh, Ellis were talking about that. Like the, the first half of that new Fantastic Four ain't half bad. I mean, it's nothing to write home about either. It's not like it's not like it was really good. It wasn't, but it wasn't half bad. And then it just started to go off the rails and became ridiculous and dumb and kind of lost anything it had going for it. So I do like, well, I, so I don't think the Fantastic Four, the newest one was like this epically all time bad film. Like some people think it is, but I do think it's a bad film. It's a poor film. At the end of the day, it was a bad film and it failed. So here you are, you've got Fox has got Fantastic Four. They tried the Corman version. They, they tried the one with Chris Evans and Michael Chiklis. They tried the one now with this new cast and it's, and it's never worked. Look, for whatever reason, Fox just can't figure out the Fantastic Four puzzle. They can't figure out how to make it work. They figured out Deadpool. They figured out X-Men on many levels and on many tries. Not all the time, but many times they've like X-Men 1, X-Men 2, First Class, Days of Future Past, Deadpool. I mean, they've made a lot of really good X-Men films, but they cannot figure out Fantastic Four. And I'll be honest with you, as a fan, I'm personally just at a place now where I'm like, you know what? I, I'm. I, you no longer get the benefit of the doubt from me. I no longer trust you with this property. So now, as a fan, I think Fantastic Four really should go back to Marvel. And more than that, I think it's in Fox's best interest to come up with a deal to let them go back to Marvel because Fantastic Four is now a useless property to them. Here's the thing. Look, the audiences remember... I mean, the audiences aren't going to rush back out to see Fox try another Fantastic Four movie. They're just not. I mean, the opening weekend of this last one proved they weren't really ready to rush back out after they failed with their previous two attempts either. So, like, with if I'm Fox, I'm thinking, is in our hands, does the Fantastic Four have any value in our hands as Fox? Is Fantastic Four a valuable property under Fox? And the answer to that is no, not anymore. You, you had your chance. I'm glad you took a chance, but you failed. You're, you're kicking ass with Deadpool and doing some great things with X-Men, but you just dropped the ball too many times with Fantastic Four, and I do not think the audiences trust you with it anymore. It's time to give Fantastic Four, and you never hear me say this, but it is time to give Fantastic Four back to Marvel. Because you can't do anything with it, and it's of no value in your hands. Maybe Marvel can do something with them, and maybe they'll have value under Marvel's roof. Maybe they'll be able to build in some some value there. But then again, I mean, if you're Marvel, I mean, you look at how badly Fox has damaged the property of Fantastic Four. Maybe if you're Marvel, you're wondering, gosh, do we have any interest in them? But, you know, there's a lot of characters that come along with Fantastic Four. So in the question of should they go back to Marvel – Yes, I think they should. I totally do. Will they go back to Marvel? I don't know. Fox seems pretty stubborn about this. I mean, the last I checked, they're still insisting they're going to make a sequel. I kid you not. The last time I, the last official word that came out of Fox, I believe it was through one of the producers, uh, Simon Kinberg, I believe. I think it was Simon Kinberg, and I like Simon Kinberg a lot. But I believe Simon Kimberg was the last official thing I heard out of him was that, yeah, we're still going to do a sequel. We're going to do another Fantastic Four. We're going to do another sequel. 
Now they pulled the release date because remember they had a release date for Fantastic Four 2 and they pulled it, but they never made any announcement that Fantastic Four 2 is now off the books. They never said that. So should they go back to Marvel? Yes. Will they go back to Marvel in time for phase four? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that they will. I think Fox is going to be really stubborn about it. And I'm starting to get a feeling they may take another shot at it. I hope they don't. I hope they just give it up and focus more on their X-Men franchise because they're doing some good things there. They haven't done anything good with Fantastic Four. Let them go. Anyway, that's just my thought. All right. Thanks a lot for the question, Andre. Uh, the next question comes from Jamie Ross. Sorry, Jamie Ross Lyons. And Jamie Ross Lyons asks, Emma Stone or Natalie Portman, who's getting the Oscar this year? Um, yeah, I mean, well, you got Emma Stone right now. For those of you who know he's talking about, Emma Stone has got La La Land coming out. And right now, that just played at the Toronto Film Fest, and the critics are losing their bloody minds. Uh, I talked to our good friend Scott Mance last night, actually. He and I uh, were together, and we talked for a bit. And Scott was telling me he thinks it is hands down the best film of the year. He thinks that La La Land is a lock for best picture. And so, and he said, Emma Stone is magnificent in it. So you got to know she's going to be Sears contender for best lead actress. Now, at the same time, we just heard that the studio just picked up the rights to the new um, um, Kennedy movie with Natalie Portman, the Jackie O movie. And where Natalie Portman plays Jackie O. And... They specifically planted it right near the end of December, prime Oscar season. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the studio has immense belief in this film and they believe it is a true contender for best picture of the year. And if your headliner in a Jackie O movie that you think is a contender for best picture of the year is Natalie Portman, you've got to believe that Natalie Portman is probably going to be a serious contender for best actress as well. But here's the thing. We haven't seen these movies yet. So... Understand that anything we say about these things is pure, pure speculation. I have not seen Natalie Portman act in this movie at all. So I have no idea what her chances are or what her chances should be for an Academy Award. I have not seen a single scene of La La Land yet. And so I haven't seen Emma Stone in it. So I really have no idea. So in pure theoretical speculation, I would say... Maybe Emma Stone, just because of what I'm hearing about La La Land. But don't hold me to that. I, I reserve the right to reverse that altogether once I have a chance to see all the actual Academy potential films. Because right now I haven't seen any of them. So we're just, you know, blowing smoke out of our own asses, even speculating about it. But they both do look like they're going to be powerhouse performances. So let's keep our eyes open on them. All right. Next question comes in from Gabriel Berrios Cruz. And Gabriel writes, Hi, John. Huge fan from Puerto Rico. Well, thanks so much, Gabriel. Uh, my question is, do you feel like you've accomplished your dream job or still have sights set on the future? Ooh, a personal question. Um, I certainly feel I'm – what I get to do for a living is crazy cool. Um, look, what I get to do for a living is nuts. I get to watch and talk about movies – um, I get to work with amazing people. I get to work in an industry that I've been fascinated with since I was a child. I live in Hollywood. I mean, I live in Burbank, but I'm, I live in Hollywood. You know, 
Uh, tonight, I'm going. Me and Anne are going to a world premiere tonight. We're going to go to the world premiere of Queen, uh, Queen of Cotway with um, uh, David Oelua and uh, Lupita Nyong'o uh, tonight. I mean, I sometimes I do have to pinch myself about the stuff I get to do. You know, today on Movie Talk or today on the Clyder Video Channel, you can see me and Freddie Prince Jr. calling a movie trivia match together. I mean, that's cool. I. I I, I get to do a lot of really cool things and hang out with some cool people and and I enjoy my job a lot. But um am am I there? No. No, I, I still have I still have plans and I still have uh goals that are beyond what I'm doing now and I'm working towards them. And and that's the thing, I think you should never be satisfied with where you are. I think you should learn to find happiness where you are. But always have that little itch of um, dissatisfaction. Learn, and I think that's the best balance. And it's a tough balance to have. Learn to find happiness exactly where you are. Because if you have happiness exactly where you are, you're going to enjoy your life. But with that happiness, I've always believed, you should always have a little itch of dissatisfaction. Something that always, whether it's professionally or personally or whatever, something that always like spurs you to want to push yourself to want to see truly what your limits are. And when you think you've reached your limits, see if you can push them a little bit further. When you've reached certain goals, see if there are grander goals you can go for. And that means you'll never arrive. I mean, if you live that way, you'll never arrive, but that's cool if you've already learned the art of finding happiness of where you are. So I've always kind of believed that. I believe in finding happiness with where I'm at, and I love my life right now. Love it. I loved my life a year ago. I loved my life four years ago. I loved my life five years ago, and I love my life today. But that doesn't mean I don't have other plans for tomorrow. That doesn't mean I don't have that little itch of dissatisfaction in me still, knowing or believing I can push myself further or do even bigger things or grander things. And some of those things involve... Um, the job I'm at right now, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm going to let you know, I got an announcement coming. I've got an announcement coming in the next couple of weeks regarding my current job and what I'm doing that I think a lot of people are going to find very exciting and very cool. But it also means I have some plans and ambitions outside of that as well. So, um, do I feel like I'm in my dream job? Yes, because I've learned to find happiness with where I am and I love, and if I stayed right where I am for the rest of my life, totally happy. But I also have that itch of dissatisfaction that, that pushes me and wants me to do new things and, and get out of my safety zone and, and push my boundaries. And I encourage people to do that all the time. Find happiness where you are, but always have that itch of dissatisfaction. Thanks a lot for the question, Gabriel. All right. This next question comes from Jonathan Ross, and uh, Jonathan writes, any thoughts on the Emmys? Um, I thought the Emmys were a pretty good show. I, I don't usually watch the Emmys because I'm not a big TV guy. I'm mostly a movie guy. But I came down to a Collider video to the offices because um, Josh Makuga and Dennis and Roxy Starr and Perry were all down here watching the Emmys together because they were going to do a post-Emmy show. So I decided to sh- Anne was out and she was busy. So I decided to shoot down to the office and watch it with those guys. And I'll be honest, I thought it was a really nice little show. I thought it was a pretty efficient, fast moving, um, had great moments. The the part where Matt Damon comes out on stage after Jimmy Kimmel lost best talk show 
uh, that was gold. To me, that was absolute gold. Um, but yeah, overall, I liked the show very much. I thought it was pretty cool. I'll, I'm going to watch it again next year. All right. The next question comes from Eric Robinson, who writes, since you're a sports guy, what are your thoughts on the Colin Kaepernick um, protest? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, and this isn't really a sports issue, I guess, but you know, Colin Kaepernick uh, started a bit of a ruckus, if you will, by sitting for the national anthem at a uh, football game. He's now the backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Because, look, he's not that good of a quarterback. He never has been. Um, He was a bit of a flash in the pan. I always thought they let the wrong quarterback go. Because when it was down between Kaepernick and Smith, they let the wrong quarterback go. They let Smith go, and he's enjoyed a lot more success in Kansas City than the 49ers have since Smith left. But that's neither here nor there. So Kaepernick... um, he started kind of a a big ruckus by sitting for the national anthem. And he expressed that this was his way of kind of bringing attention to and and showing protest for the way minorities are treated in this country. And there's more nuance to it than that, but that's the basic gist. So what do I think about it? Look, I've seen a lot of people complain about it. And look, do I believe that sitting during the national anthem is the right way to do it? No, I don't. I don't think that's the right way to do it. But that's not really the important thing, is it? The thing is, you know, everybody says um, people should protest peacefully. So what does this guy do? He protests by very quietly sitting down during the national anthem. That's that's perfect. And, you know, to all, all these guys who complain about everything's too PC, nobody can say what they, nobody can, everything's too PC. What did this guy just do? He, he just sat during the national anthem and they want to lose their minds. And, you know, it's funny because you don't, when you think of looking for a cool headed, rational thought, you don't think of Jesse, the body Ventura, former uh, governor of Minnesota. But I saw Jesse Ventura make a comment on this that really surprised me. And I thought it was very eloquently said, but basically Jesse Ventura's uh, whole take on this was this. Jesse Ventura said, look, I went and I served. And the reason I went and served was so that people like Colin Kaepernick can have the freedom to protest. And basically what Jesse Ventura was saying is like, hey, don't crap on that guy for protesting. I went and risked my life so he could have the right to do that. You know, there are American servicemen and women, and I'm not American, but I'm just saying there are American servicemen and women who in the past and today laid their lives on the line, risked their lives to go and defend the freedoms to protest your own country, to protest. They fought and died and bled for that right. And Jesse Ventura is saying, don't you dare crap on this guy for exercising a right I fought for him to have. So look, do I agree with Colin Kaepernick and the way he's going about doing a protest? No, I I don't think that's the right way to do it. That's just my thought. But I completely support that that is a legitimate expression of protest if that's what he wants to do. I think there were better ways he could have done it, but that's not the issue. The issue is he has the right to do it. It is a peaceful protest. 
It is a simple protest and it's something that, and look, whether you like that he's doing it or not, it's got attention. And that's what a protest is meant to do, bring attention to the issue. <coughs> and uh, I think he's done it. So like I said, while I may not agree that this was the best way to do it, you cannot debate that it's been pretty effective. And he, I totally support his right to do it. And it's it's not a bad way to do it. So anyway, that's just my my thought on that. Uh, thanks a lot for the question, Eric. I'm sure everybody's got lots of different opinions on that. And that's cool. I'm not even American. I'm Canadian. But you asked me, so I'm just kind of giving you my two cents worth on that. All right. This next question comes from Brandon uh, Pasek. And Brandon Pasek writes, Independence Day Resurgence has made $387 million worldwide on a $165 million budget. Do you think that the studio were greenlight a sequel? No, absolutely not, for two reasons. $387 million on $165 million is, a, is still a loss. They've lost money. Now, I've explained this before, but I mean, this is so important to understand that I'll say it again. People see like Independence Day Resurgence, made $387 million. Well, that's more than the $165 million they say they spent to make it. Therefore, that means it made money, right? No, it didn't make money. <clears throat> when you see what a production budget is, that's only part of the story. The, and there's many pieces to the puzzle, but the two biggest pieces of the puzzle are A, the production budget, and B, the marketing budget, or the P&A, they call it. The marketing budget. We'll, for simplicity's sake, we'll just call it that. So you forget that there's a P&A on top of that. All right. So I think it's safe to say that um, uh, Independence Day Resurgence probably spent in the neighborhood of about $150 million for marketing. It was a heavily marketed movie, a very heavily marketed movie. So if they did spend $150 million in marketing, you add that to the 165 they have. Now you've got $315 million. So now somebody will say, well, okay, let's say it was 315 million then. They made 387 million. That's still more than 315. Therefore, the movie made money. No. Because out of that total, that $387 million that the movie made, you have to remember roughly, the, every movie's different. The calculations, there's a lot of math involved. I'm just saying for, as a rule of thumb, okay? Figure one-third, just for as a rule of thumb. There, the, look, I know there's some people saying, but John, in this situation, international markets, blah, 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 I know, but just, just for a simple rule of thumb, figure one-third, about 33.3% of that box office total stays with the movie theaters, you know, the places where you actually go to watch the movies. So in a case like this, I'm not pulling out a calculator or anything, but roughly one third, I don't know, let's say uh, $130 million. So $130 million of the $387 million actually stays with the movie theaters. That means if you take 387 and minus 130, that means only $257 million is coming back to the studio. So the movie really made the studio $257 million. Well, if it made $257 million, and after marketing, the movie cost $315 million. Now you're looking at, get this, the studio losing in the neighborhood of $50 million they lost. They lost in the neighborhood of $50 million. So when you ask the question, could we see 
another Independence Day get greenlit because they planned for another one. I'm going to say no for two reasons. Number one, this movie lost them $50 million. But number two, the critics and the audiences hated this one. The studio would be foolish to make another one. If, the, if, if we just put this one out and the audiences hated it and the critics hated it, then they're less likely to come back if we put out another one. By the way, on a movie that we already lost money on. So what are the chances of a third Independence Day movie? There's always a chance. There is always a chance. I just think the chances are very, very, very slim for the reasons we talked about. It lost them a buttload of money and the audiences and the critics um, seem to hate it. So yeah, anyway. All right, let's move on to the next question. This next question comes from Alessandros Cruz who writes, how do you want or think Luke is going to be in episode eight? Is he going to be serious and experienced or more like Yoda? Um, I don't think he's going to be like Yoda because Yoda was always that way. You know, when you meet Yoda in episode um, seven, sorry, no, when you meet Yoda in episode five, at, when he's not pretending to be this <laughs> looking, found you, found someone you have, like when he's not acting and it gets down to it and he, he lifts the veil of it and really reveals who he really is. He is Yoda, the Jedi master. When you look at him there, that's very similar to the character he was 50 years earlier that we see in the prequels. So I think Luke is still very much going to be Luke, maybe just a little more serious. Um, that's the way I think I kind of see it, uh, coming on. Um, <clears throat> the next question comes from Chris Diaz. I'll just take two more here. We're almost at 40 minutes. Um, Chris Diaz writes thoughts on the Blair, Witch? uh, I didn't love it. Um, I, I, I liked it. I did. I liked the movie. I, I think you should go check it out. I liked it, but it is so similar to the first one. It's basically beat by beat. It's the same movie. It even ends the exact same way. Spoiler alert. Uh, but it ends the same way as the other one does. It's, And so I find myself getting frustrated with the movie as the movie progressed. Like I went from going, oh, this is pretty cool, cool and this is kind of unique. And then I kind of find myself getting frustrated and left the movie really dissatisfied with the ending, which hurts. Like overall, I still would give it like a 6.5 because I did like it. But uh, I didn't love it the way I wanted to love it. And I can totally see why it's got such mixed reviews right now. But by all means, if you've been looking forward to it, I'd say go check it out. Because I know Mark Ellis really liked the movie a lot. I saw it with him and he really enjoyed it. Uh, Christian didn't so much. And I was kind of in the middle of the road, leaning more towards liking it a little bit. So go check it out. All right. Last question of the day, because my voice is starting to go. Edgar Magna writes, Equalizer 2? Um, hey, look, the last Antoine Fuqua, Denzel Washington Equalizer, I thought was a real fun movie. I enjoyed that movie a lot. I thought it was exciting, had a good pace. I liked the character. And I think they left themselves very comfortably open for another one if they wanted to do another one. And after seeing Antoine Fuqua and Denzel Washington working together again on The Magnificent Seven, which I liked, I liked Magnificent Seven. I had a good time with it. Um, then I would be totally up for seeing them get together again to do an equalizer too. Cause I really liked that movie. I enjoyed it. A, I enjoyed it a whole bunch. So I hope so. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, I remember the studios talking about looking at doing, um, uh, an equalizer too. 
I think he's just a good character and there's too many things you can do with him. You can almost make him like an, his whole series of movies, like an, like various A-team episodes <coughs> where he finds different people in trouble. He finds people who need him or, or people in desperate need seek him out and find him and then he goes and equalizes it, you know? I just think there's a lot you can do with him there. So I think it'd be a missed opportunity if they didn't. All right, guys, that will do it for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thanks for joining me. I will be back again next week. And guys, once again, remember, make sure you're following me on Facebook uh, and on Twitter and on Instagram, all at John Campia. So that's my handle on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to Comic-Con HQ. It's an incredible, you know, genre base for us, you know, the geeks. It's a it's a network made for us. And my show and John Schnepp's show called Film HQ is on that. So make sure you can go check it out. You can not only see our show, there's a bunch of other shows there as well, a bunch of Marvel animated films there, a bunch of old awesome films, and of course the panels from Hall H at Comic-Con this past year, you can stream and watch them on Comic-Con HQ. So head on over to uh, Comic-Con HQ and make sure you sign up for a trial there and give it a shot. Um, So that'll do it for me, guys. Uh, That's it. Thanks a lot. Make sure you can see me again tomorrow on Movie Talk. Check out the Freddie Prince Jr. and the Sam Witwer battle on the Schmodown movie trivia. And until next time, bye-bye. At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.